Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 40K Fireside Podcast. I'm David Gaylord, and I'm joined by my good friend, Vic Vijay. Together, we discuss 40K in the meta from our perspective, along with events we've recently been to and those that have got coming up. So come on down to the fireside and listen. Welcome, everyone, to 40K Fireside Episode 2. It's amazing to have you guys back here. If you haven't heard the first episode, it is available on YouTube, on the channel, or on any of your major podcast providers. In this episode, we are going to follow our same um, agenda of splitting into three parts. And the first part, we're just going to go through a little bit of housekeeping and run through what we've been up to during the week. And then on our second part, we're going to go through the events that we've been to. I've been to Battlefield Birmingham, which is a GT, and Dave's been to an Invitational GT. And then in the final part, which is probably the main part of this episode, we're going to go through everything to do with leagues of votan the whole codex is leaked we've managed to get a few test games in and we've both been building some lists and trying to think about how it will sit in the meta and then we're going to answer a couple of listener questions that we've we've got in and dave's also going to do a few more thoughts about chaos demons because he's had a little bit more time to think about that i'm going to hand you over to dave who's going to run you through the first part yeah so first of all thanks everyone for coming back if you haven't checked out the previous episode and you're new to listening to this i would highly suggest going and having a listen uh we talk about all things from turnits to the current meta and it's a great recap and introduction to vic and myself as well you can find that uh, on most podcast platforms or on youtube searching the 40k fireside podcast now onto some housekeeping hopefully you'll hear that my microphone sounds slightly better uh, my microphone audio quality was one of the big pieces of feedback we got from the previous episode, so I'm trying hard to work on that. Uh, in terms of the frequency, I think we're hitting roughly about a week and a half now here for the for the second episode, and um, this probably feels like a, a good frequency to do um, to do podcasts for us as well. Like Vic mentioned, we're keeping the agenda and format similar in that way, and uh, we'll keep giving you those breaks between our, our sections as well with the classic jazz music. So with no delay, let's uh, head on over to part two of the podcast. And that concludes part two. We hope you're enjoying the fireside and we'll see you momentarily for part three. everyone welcome back to part two of the 40k fireside podcast this is where we're going to be talking about two events that vic and i both played in last weekend the battlefield birmingham gt which is i think was around about 55 players and the invitational uh, unconquerable event uh, that i played in as well on the weekend which was 24 players in a seated pod event so uh we had some vic had some great results over the weekend he's playing <laughs> empress children and uh managed to take a cheeky little five and oh uh there were two players undefeated and vic even bit the second player to get the most battle points for the tiebreaker if i'm not mistaken that's right so vic do you want to run us through uh how the event went what was your round one and um what was kind of the flavor of the event yeah well it was uh an event local to me in birmingham and uh you know for people who haven't um didn't hear the last episode i did go through my list in that and also a lot about the event but just to to roughly run it through i was bringing the emperor's children to this event which is one of the chaos say, space marine sub factions is the slanesh one 
and uh, I had a really good run. They're a very fun list. I've got in about 20 or so practice games before I brought this list to the event, which is which is a lot more than what I often get to do before uh, I come to an event. So I was well prepared. I'd uh, made some tweaks to my list to um, kind of adapt to the terrain setup, which was a little bit more open in the middle of the board. Um, and yeah, I had a had a great run. It was a lovely run event. This is actually the first time that um, the TO, so this is the 19th Battlefield Birmingham, but this is the first time the TO has run the event as an ITC event. He called it an ITC event. Mm. And uh, his feedback at the end was, oh my gosh, as soon as I put ITC in front of it, the crowd is so much nicer who's attending the event, <laughs> which, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> so my list, uh, just to briefly run through the broad strokes of it, was... Um, uh, Chaos Space Marine list, which was placed into a single battalion with the Supreme Command. The Supreme Command had Abaddon in it. And then I had a Demon Prince, Dark Apostle, Master of Possession, five units of Noise Marines with a Blastmaster, Power Fist, Chaos Icon, and Chainswords on the remaining members. And then I had a unit of 10 Terminators with a splattering of different weapons, including four Combi Melters and a few Reaper Auto Cannons, as well as some Power Fists and a Chain Fist. And then we had a Venom Crawler to round out the list. All right, Vic, so what did, run me through. What did you play round one and day one? And uh, kind of what were your thoughts after day one? So uh, I went in hard. I got paired up into probably the type of list that I least wanted to face. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very good Harlequin's light list. And um, that's not an ideal list for me to face because there's a little bit too much for me to chew through. And uh, sometimes the scoring can be a little bit difficult. Chaos Space Marines don't have the best secondaries. Mm -hmm. um, but... The thing with this uh, terrain setup was all but one of the objectives was in the, you had to be in the open or in a firing lane in order to be on it. Yep. So I'd set up all my blast masters around the edge of the board with firing lanes to all of the objectives except for my opponent's home objective. And that kind of trapped him a little bit. He, he didn't have anywhere to go where he wasn't trading his units to my shooting. Um, so... What happened was about the middle of the game, he suddenly really started to run out of things. I was sitting on the middle of the board with the Terminators, who I I also realized it's impossible for Harlequins to ever kill that Terminator brick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he didn't even bother shooting a single That's always nice. <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as the first turn went, I realized he's never going to be able to kill this unit. Um, I switched all of my buffs around to all of my little noise marine units, whichever units were further forward. So one unit would get the five up feel no pain, one unit would um, get the plus one toughness, and one unit would get the can only be hit on fours by the Dark Apostle, uh, which just really limited the targets that he could deal with efficiently the score ended up being 95 58 to me um and that was a really uh, positive start to the tournament yeah it's a great start to round one it's always kind of the start that you want uh it's interesting that you mentioned about the terrain there and let's touch on that after after you wrap up the event what was uh what was serving up for round two so uh still playing uh deeply into the meta Round two was against uh, the lovely Josh Richards with a Necron list. And uh, this was a very solid player. He had a double Satan list um, with the Silent King and the usual Relentless uh, Expansionist combo. Um, and on this one, it was a bit interesting because I've had um, one game into Necrons before. So I was learning a little bit as I went along with this. And um, my theory was just run as fast as I can forward at him. 
and uh, just put too much pressure on because the, the data sheets are a little bit weak on, on the Necrons, despite the fact that they have so much obsec, incredible secondaries, they can fall apart very quickly if you target them. So I went right up into the middle of the board. He used his destroyers to try and pick up some noise marine units down the side with his teleport. He managed to take out a good chunk of my army with that teleport. But then essentially the game ended up being he just had two Satan left and the Silent King and everything else died. And I think this happened as early as turn three. Mm. Um, and at that point he was in the middle of the board. He went in, he killed eight out of 10 Terminators just with those three characters. So you gotta, you gotta be careful, yeah. it's, it was a bit scary. That's a lot of help. Um, <laughs> but then my whole army was still sitting behind that. So mm. ended up just picking up the Satan and then we we called it there. So mm. you had the one... Abaddon to follow up after the uh, Silent King had gone and I take it too, right? Yeah, that, that's it. I, I'm not even sure Abaddon actually got into combat in this one. Um, <laughs> but I had the uh, little relic pistol on the Dark Apostle, which uh, very easily does four mortal wounds. Any sixes mm. to hit is two mortal wounds on his four shots from turn two onwards. Um, and yeah, so it was very easy for me to go through the Satan, uh, both of the Satan in one turn between smites and um, and that relic pistol and a lot of combat. Yeah, you've so got a that... nice you got a nice multi-phase army there as well, which is really good at dealing with Satans. I think that's kind of the core weakness to Satans that has left people moving away from them as well and just having more thickness on the board uh, for the Necronist. What is uh, what was your round three? This is the closing round of the day. So uh, how did you close it up? Yep, so I'm still playing um, deeply in the, the top of the meta and playing against a Leviathan list Ooh. now. This was a Leviathan Nidlis, so this was an absolutely gorgeous, completely converted army. If you imagine uh, squats and GSC had a baby, that was what this <laughs> Nid army looked like. So everything was a robot. Um, I had to ask him about 10 times which one was his hive tyrant. Uh, <laughs> but it was an amazing army, really, really nice opponent. And um, we essentially set up on the line to each other. I was tucked in behind cover. Um, he had a fair bit of shooting with a bunch of Venom Cannons, and um, we I sat in cover, took the shooting, and then I shot him back. What happened was that I was a little bit heavily weighted to one flank, which I don't think he'd fully accounted for. Um, and then I ended up sweeping a flank, and then at that point, he was about to lose his whole army. So end last game of the day, he conceded. I think it was about turn early, the first half of turn three when he conceded. Um, and that was a, a decent win for me, 87-43. There you go. So you've and, effectively tabled all your opponents day one by the turn three and four. I'm just going to put it out there. I, this army's got some serious <laughs> output. <man. laughs> yeah, people are sleeping on this. This is. Uh, I think if you play it carefully and you make sure you keep all your pieces in cover, use defensive buffs as effectively as possible, you do win the shooting and the combat war mm. if someone stands off against you, against most armies in the meta at the moment. Um, so as long as you don't make an overcommitment with the noise marines because they do die very quickly, um, you can find on turn three, you suddenly have so much of your army still alive, putting out very intense firepower. Yeah, and you've got kind of those, you've still got the Blastmasters left in the squads, like you might have lost two or three from each unit, but you've still got the Blasties, which are a massive part of the output. Exactly. So you might be, you might have lost 400 points, but it might not be in any core unit that's going to affect uh, your total output. Nice. Uh, so... Um, the pairings come out overnight, of course, like they always do. And you've got our teammate, George, with his uh, really nice Freebait Knights uh, list. How did that go? And uh, what was what were you expecting going into it? So 
George George is an amazing player. He plays Imperial Knights, and he's got that free blade list where you can give multiple knights a four up invuln and minus one damage. I personally, and I think we all think in the team, and most of the people in England now, that's that's become the the optimal way of playing Imperial Knights rather than the Tyrannus version of the list. Mm -hmm. um, he had one big knight and ten baby knights, and um, his list is incredibly strong. I had tested it once this matchup against you, Dave, yep. um, on on Tabletop Simulator, and I knew going into it that I do have a significant output advantage here. The knights can't kill me very well in shooting, but I can really kill them. The blastmasters do do work, mm -hmm. albeit it's a little bit swingy, especially if I go second and the knights can get some of their buffs up. The front knights usually the only ones I can target. Ten will will probably have the minus one damage and the four up invuln on them, mm -hmm. um, so there's a chance I could whiff and and have a very slow turn, which could be terminal on the points. That's that was my takeaway for this. George, on the other hand, had no experience into this matchup, and uh, George is very confident, and uh, <laughs> he was he he was talking talking some uh, some banter to me, and yeah, a little <laughs> bit of smack, healthy and, bit of smack uh, talk. I like that. I like that. You know, uh, I think the the quote is, "If I go first, oh yeah, I can't lose to anything." Uh, <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so obviously, we roll off for first turn. George gets first turn, so. Um, he gets first turn, yep. puts all his buffs up, moves forward into the middle of the board, does all his secondaries, and, and suddenly he's got like a million secondary points. I don't, I don't even know what's happening. He's telling mm. me, yeah, I've got five on this four and that four and that, whatever. Fine, George, you've got all the points. And then I lined up all the Blastmasters and just started shooting away. <laughs> and then my Terminators also, uh, I use the Master of Possession, can stab one of your Terminators to do D3 mortal wounds and get plus two to cast on a spell on any of, of his table of spells, so not Smite or Delightful Agonies or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I cast two of his spells, killed one of my Terminators, healed the Terminator back, and put it three inches closer, made a charge into two of his uh, little knights. Oof. When the dust cleared after everything, he'd lost five knights. Five? I thought you were going to say four, but five. I'm pretty Ooh. sure it was five. Uh, no, end of battle by end of battle round one, yeah, he'd lost five when the last one died in his turn, the, the one that was stuck in combat. I see, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, so that was pretty, pretty rough. And, and, and my you can't come back. You obviously can't yeah. come back. <laughs> my Terminators nice. were in his deployment zone. So <laughs> right. it was a bit of a rough one. And then uh, George had his turn. He charged everything he had into the Terminators. Um, Terminators were fully defensively buffed here. I was able to get the charge without having to use the advance and charge. Mm -hmm. um, and he killed, I think, two Terminators out of the 10. Uh, with all of his combat, so, and that was it. He didn't. He didn't kill anything else. So that, that was sounds a, like a that sounds like a bit of a fast <laughs> game. That one. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a really quick game, and yeah. it was it was very obvious what was going to happen. Abaddon was in charge range as well on one flank, and the Terminators were on another flank in his deployment zone. And I still had five Blastmasters to shoot. So. Yeah, brutal. What was the? Uh, so you've just dispatched uh, our teammate playing Imperial yeah. Knights. What are we looking at for the final round of the tournament? So final round, back to the worst matchup. This is uh, Chris Radford, who's actually a local player to me, and I play a lot of practice games with him. He's an extremely competent player, and I think I think you've played him before, haven't you, Dave? Probably, but uh, as yeah. we all know, I'm terrible with, uh, with names. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris is one of those players where 
you know, you'll probably see him at a lot of events, but he's not like one of those named players, mm. like ones that everyone knows the name of, but he's definitely good enough to be that. Mm. And uh, he's got a Harlequin's army, a light army. Uh, again, I think it's eight Star Weavers and then just lo lots and lots of troops and a couple of little um, Skyweaver bikes, mm. along with two Shadow Seers and a Tripmaster and a Solitaire as well. No Death Jester in this one. Um, I had got a practice game in with Chris on the Friday before the event. So that was that was useful. Nice. Uh, a little bit of uh, and, info there. Yep. And uh, in that practice game, uh, it 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 was the first time he played it. So he'd made a couple of mistakes. It was the first time I'd played that matchup. And I also didn't do it optimally. So we were both going into this, um, having some ideas on what mm. we can do to improve. Now, Chris went in with the plan that he was going to not bother with doing damage. He's going to try and beat me on the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did everything, just throwing away units just to get points and not setting up in any way to actually whittle down my units. And I think it was a good idea to try a different approach mm. because um, like the first, like we saw with the first game against the other Harlequin player, if I have those angles to shoot, the Harlequin army can lose too much of its army quickly. So Chris stayed really far back, completely hidden in his deployment zone and only put units out to get points. The problem was in the middle of the game when I had reached the middle of the board with my whole army. And essentially it was like I had started turn one on the middle of the board. Hmm. So I, I had an immediate, not even an approach turn. I was just on the middle of the board. My next turn, I'm going into his deployment zone with everything. Yep. Um, so I was ahead on the primary by a big chunk. My secondaries were rubbish, which I'm used to. But turn four, I'm absolutely rinsing his army. Yep. And yeah, he's pretty much tabled by the end of the game. And we called it there on a 97-61, yep. which put me about... 40 points ahead of the other undefeated player, I think, uh, on Smashed back points. It. So, yeah, it, uh, it was quite amazing because I never, I know, I haven't lost a game with Emperor's Children, just to note, with any of the practice games. Mm -hmm. uh, but even then, in my head, I've got that this isn't a top army. Mm. There's too many fundamental weaknesses in the army for it to be a good army. Mm -hmm. But this event kind of showed me that it does have the strengths to play very well in, in events uh, against a wide range of armies. I basically played the whole of the top of the meta here. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think Empress Children, you know, maybe they're not outright as powerful as Creations of Bile, but I think if you play it correctly, they have all the tools to be one of the best armies in, in the game. Yeah, for sure. And like I think we talked about previously is that it's such a well-rounded army. You've got so many options there at your disposal. And if you're a really competent, skillful player, you can use that to leverage more of the player skill gap as well. Whereas I think Creations of Bile is potentially a little bit more one-dimensional. Um, so you basically played the whole merry-go-round of meta armies and it didn't sound like you had any trouble whatsoever. So what was, in, in terms of that, was, is there anything that you would change about the list if you were going to say submit it on UKTC terrain? What would you be like, was there anything, what was, I guess, what was the MVP unit and what was, or data sheet? And what was the thing that you were not so much impressed with? So I think the MVP unit was the Terminators in this event. They, mm. they were they were phenomenal all the way through this. Really? This... Well, I'm going to stop you there. Why? I mean, you're going to tell me why. But I, when I think of the Terminators, I just think of them as so slow and clunky. But how are you managing to activate them so well? So Emperor's Children, they 
I mean, the Dark Apostle allows them to advance and charge. There's a one CP strat after you advance, you can still, you count as remaining stationary, so you can shoot. And then Emperor's Children have an auto six advance for one CP. They have an auto one of the dice becomes a six on the charge for one CP. So you can realistically threaten 18 inches out of the middle of the board uh, on a roll of a, a one on your second dice on the charge. So mm -hmm. on average, it's more like 20 inches of threat. Um, on a unit that is almost unkillable, um, being able to have that threat range from the middle of the board means that as soon as you get in the middle, the next turn will be in your opponent's deployment zone, unless they're very far back. Um, and then the Blastmasters can still shoot at range and find angles. So it's kind of a little bit of a catch-22. They, they can't ignore the Terminators and Emperor's Children because they're much faster than any other Legion. Um, and I just found them incredible. Yes. They, were, they were just just the linchpin of the whole list. So you kind of just use them to absolutely bully your opponent and kind of the same with Tyranid Warriors is that if they even try and just sink the damage into them and they don't have mm -hmm. the right, right profiles to pick them up, they just end up trading so badly into them and then you, the rest of your army is ready to activate in the next turn as well, right? Absolutely. And especially with the heal, I found that anyone who did try and commit to the Terminators were usually killing two or three mm. um, with the units that were able to see them. And then being able to get another three inches of movement by bringing a model back on top of actually gaining another Terminator who can shoot and punch is such a big swing. Um, they were they were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> really powerful. What was, the, what was the unit that didn't really impress you so much? Uh, so actually, the army was really really well made for this event um there was nothing in there that was really bad I, I put in a unit of cultists actually i forgot to mention that in my list breakdown there was one unit of cultists and i love that unit of cultists <laughs> being able to raise a banner on your home objective without any stress and allowing your dark apostle to raise the second banner if there is an objective near your home uh deployment zone um was felt really really strong i like that balance between the two yeah um but what didn't perform I don't know, man. I think it was all pretty well balanced. It sounds like yeah. everything is just really strong by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I was summoning in a Herald of Slanesh with a spare 55 points. Oh, that's right, yeah. That opened up the Demon Prince to be very good in a way that he hasn't been good in any of my practice games. So, I, haven't been I don't know. Herald. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what that does, but what does, the, <laughs> what does summoning the Herald of Slanesh do? <laughs> so the Herald of Slanesh gives me another caster. So he, uh, she can either smite or, more, more importantly, every single game I took Warp Ritual or um, Psychic Interrogation. Mm -hmm. um, so that just opens up the Demon Prince to not have to be in the middle or set up for a Psychic Interrogation. And the Demon Prince in this setup, I had him with full rerolls to hit and wound. Um, so he was actually quite a beat stick character. And you can put advance and charge on him and he can move out and like clear an area. Mm. Um, that's something I'm not going to have access to anymore. And if I want to play the psychic secondaries, I don't have HQ slots mm. to be able to uh, allow the demon prince to do that role, which is going to suck a little bit, to be honest. Um, I, I think this list felt really strong because the demon prince was open to be played with. Yeah, it's a little bit limiting when you have to commit a character that is has so much potential to doing secondaries, I've found as well. Mm -hmm, yeah. absolutely so if well, you were going to play on uktc any changes i know you talked previously on the episode one around mixing in possessed would we change any points at all i think i would probably yeah i'd, I'd pivot one unit of noise marines to a unit of possessed i wouldn't run more than a single unit of possessed but the one unit of possessed is very good on uktc terrain um and then 
I'd have I have a bunch of spare points. I wouldn't I would take all of the guns off of my terminator so they just all have combi bolters. Mm. Um and then I would yeah, uh, that's it. So that's uh, and then maybe a couple of units of noise marines don't need their power fist. I can probably save 10 points on that on the units that end up staying further back or holding objectives. Yep. Um and that probably gives me enough points for another venom crawler so I can have two venom crawlers. Ooh, venom crawlers see. are amazing. I did say that in the previous episode too. I said getting <laughs> Yeah, they're so good on UKTC as well because that 12-inch move with a 36-inch range gun is just ideal on yep. UKTC for finding angles. Yep. And they and they cheap enough and durable enough to where if your opponent wants to commit to them you're, you're not hugely bothered by it as well they're not a linchpin part of your army as well yeah absolutely nice. so that's my battlefield birmingham experience and i think maybe now's a good time to move on to to your event for the weekend dave um you went to the unconquerable gt which was made up of players who had gone five and oh at the super majors over the past year in the uk to talk us through how was your experience yeah so going into this i think i approached it and a lot of people approach this tournament more as a in-house practice or semi boot camp um i know i certainly did approach it that way uh, to the lgt so it was a good opportunity to get five six rounds in against um opponents that you're probably going to meet in the four and five and bracket and that's quite rare to get that amount of practice in uh, one weekend uh on top of that it wasn't worth any itc points or anything like that so um there wasn't necessarily a direct reason to um, bring your top list, especially because you'd be potentially showing what you're playing at LGT. So that was kind of the backdrop or the context going into it. Uh, round one, oh, so list-wise, I was playing um, Tyranids, Leviathan Warriors. This time I was trying out the Tyranid Prime, so I wanted to have a little bit more shooting and see how that um, see how that worked out. Nice. Uh, but round one, I get paired into um, a guy named George playing Dark Elder. And this is actually the first loss of the tournament for me. So I'm losing round one, which isn't uh, it's not a great go. start. <laughs> Something I'm not used to. Um, and uh, yeah, look, uh, he bombed, He managed to bomb a significant part of my army with the Void Raven bombers and um, picked up my Neurothrope uh, with, with just one, which is just, <laughs> I mean, mathematically, that's quite lucky. Uh, and then uh, the second one, he also put my other Neurothrope to one. I think he might have dealt around about 24, 25 mortals with the, um, with the Void Raven bombers. So that was a little bit... A little bit of the rough start. Admittedly, I think I played a little bit sloppy as well. There was this is definitely a game that I look back on and think, you know, if I just played tight or or played my three objectives and didn't try and just table them across the board, I would have been in such a better position. And arrogantly, I kind of went and tried to go for the table approach, which didn't work out well. I got very unlucky not wiping a squad, so I couldn't overrun out. Kind of classic. Uh, but I figured maybe five warriors would pick up for incubi there <laughs> apparently it's not the case um <laughs> yeah so, sometimes these things do uh do get a bit swingy those void raven bombers doing uh d6 mortal wounds in a six inch aura around any point they fly over can can really be swingy yeah you mentioned that you were you, you felt there were a couple of things where you were maybe a little bit sloppy what kind of movement or tactical mistakes do you are those particularly yeah, and this is quite unusual for me because I, this is actually one of my strengths particularly is that I damage allocation, output allocation, I'm usually quite good with. Uh, but what I'd done is I'd put my warriors on both. We're playing Dawn of War, by the way. I'd put both my warriors on both flanks instead of I should have just committed to one flank so I could have 100% killed one of the Void Raven bombers. Uh, unfortunately, I kind of split shot a little bit too much and then just ended up not really killing anything really that significant. And that was a big error for me. Whilst also, if I just put my two warrior bricks side by side, that would have let me play the middle objective 
and the objective on the middle right. So I would have been able to hold three out of five, and he would have had to walk his uh, castle and characters, not really a castle, but his deadly characters and like incubi and one like that across the midboard for a turn, and that would have allowed me to map it up better. So just a strategic error there, um, and I think that, you know, it's just at the end of the day, <laughs> I think, I think lot, some people don't maybe appreciate that uh, players like you myself uh like, you know we're human beings and we and we do make mistakes at the end of the day and that's part of what makes 40k such a great game as well is that you know it's it's not a game of uh direct chess per se you know it's uh there's definitely room for error and um cognition errors and stuff like that and it just, they just happen uh, even around one of the total when you're fresh <laughs> absolutely yeah so okay so you've taken taken a loss on the first game and, and well done to george for winning that um moving on to your next game what was uh what were you paired up against mm, so i had your cousin i had uh, creations of bile playing <laughs> playing against ewan who's a lovely guy and we've met previously in a tournament uh where i think he may have been playing custodies but correct me if i'm wrong there Ewan. uh and yeah lovely guy so this was an this was another really great game because i played against vix emperor's children a couple of times and questions of bio as i understood them were completely melee orientated and they have a little bit of a beta secondary which kind of is the reason why they're a bit more popular mm-hmm. so i get first turn i move a bit of my warriors uh well my impression was going into the game is that completely melee orientated i'm going to put my warriors right on the far sides of the table so that i can advance and shoot if i go first into deep sort of like cutting lines with my venom cannons that happens i whiff a little bit and then i've actually underestimated the threat range of one of his off the top of my head i believe it's called a chosen uh unit and that allows him to get a pretty nice charge with actually two units into my buffed up warrior brick on his turn one and at this point i've kind of gone Look, David, you've made a bit of an error. You've allowed this. You've allowed these the creations army just to charge you, when you should have just been playing at range the whole time. And I very quickly changed my game plan up to only remove his models via smite or shooting, or multi-base the units that I'm the unit that I'm charging with multiple models, so that when he fights on death, he can't fight into um, my critical unit. So what that allowed to do me to do is kind of circumnavigate uh, his whole fight on death army. And, you know, turners, we've got great psychic output. And I've actually taken the more shooting orientated list uh, that I've ever taken. So I've got uh, the group of nine warriors, which I put a high fleet nexus on so I could get exploding sixes to hit with ranged weapons within 24 inches. Uh, so they're hitting on twos, re-rolling ones, and he's got squads that are larger than six. So the venom cannons are getting max shots. So... You get nine shots, strength eight, negative three, damage two, hitting on twos, rolling ones, exploding sixes, wounding on, uh, in this case, threes, because I was double the strength. If I'm correct, I get minus one to wound if I'm double the strength versus the toughness. Uh, so I'm winning on threes, rolling ones, which means that oftentimes I'm converting nine, nine saves of my Venom Cannons, which was absolutely fantastic. And then, yeah, after that, I used the Neurothrope um, to base one side of his unit so that I can multi-charge with another one. And coming around turn three or four, Ewan kind of said, look, if I just sit back, I'll, I'll get more points, but there's no way I'm going to be able to win just by just because you'll be able to sit um, your five obsec neurothrope on the middle objective and I won't be able to move across the board and charge it. So he went for a big Hail Mary. I think he made a nine or ten inch charge, um, but only half his unit could activate to actually get in. And then I ended up cleaning that one up after that as well. So yeah, it was really interesting. Christians of Baal are definitely a solid army. 
however, they do struggle against the armies that have the, a good shooting capability alongside a good mortal wound capability, which was what I really felt um, hit, hit the army really hard. And then a couple of smart decisions around just understanding the army does entirely fight on death. So how can I circumnavigate that with maybe a tankier unit that doesn't really matter so much and have my harder hitting units basing different sides of the models of the unit just to do make sure that you can't hit the whole unit into the one that I don't want. So yeah, I think that game was, uh, it was really good, man. I had such a blast playing into Christians of Bile, though. It was a good mashup. That's awesome. And I think that's a really useful tip, what you've just said about fight on death, because a lot of armies have it. Um, Repentia, Emperor's Children have a 2CP strat for it. The new leagues of Otan, their berserkers fight on death anyway. And being able to circumvent that by basing models is an extremely strong tactic. Um, so yeah, guys, try and put that on the board and see if you can replicate that one if, if it doesn't quite make sense. But yeah, essentially, if uh, an enemy unit model can't reach you with their pylon move, they won't be able to fight you on death. So yeah, brilliant. Moving on to your game three, Dave. And this is the last game of the pod. Is that right? Yeah, this is the last game of the pod. So game three, I'm playing against uh, an Aldari player. And sorry, I forgot his name. Like I said, I'm terrible with names. Uh, so he had a little bit of a funky list. He had the uh, Ying Khan. And then he also had two by three support platforms. Uh, oh, so nice. unfortunately for him, Turnids and Harpies in particular just absolutely shred this army. There is almost nothing that he can do couple of the reasons why is that my harpies can shoot with their average 10 shots plus six uh plus eight sorry uh into your toughness three wound one models which are just you know that's just uh that's really tough warrior bricks are just really nigh unkillable for aldari melee oh, and the Incan is it's a tricky model but if you play methodically you can uh chat with your opponent just to understand where it's going to bounce to and if you activate in the right sequence you can set it up so it's if it bounces to a position way far out, it, it's never going to want to be there. So, fortunately, this one was a bit of a steamroll for me. Actually, oh gosh, that's heartbreaking because I, <laughs> I think the recent Yanari armies that are coming out, be it with planes or with the two units of D cannons, like your opponent, mm. are some of the coolest, most interesting armies that I've seen in a while. And it's one of those armies I really want to try, but. Yeah, of course, flyers getting round, especially because you're running strangle torn cannons, which are the, the higher volume of shots, is absolutely awful. Um, something which a lot of people don't realize, because Yanari is a little bit of a niche army, um, mm -hmm. is that you can, like with the fight on death thing and managing that, you can also f uh, manage the Yin Khan's positioning, because unlike before, where the Yin Khan was able to come down as near as possible to the position where an enemy, a model died, it now has to come. Um, where the model died. So if it's not able to be placed, it, it doesn't come down. So, and it can't be within engagement range as well. So keep that in mind, guys. You can really push the Yun Khan back if you are struggling against Yunari, which is quite a strong army in the meta at the moment. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely great advice. It's the type of model where I think if you get one win against it, you become more confident. And until, until you get that, you're a bit mystified by it. I, certainly that's the approach that I have. Um, and I've lost the Yun Khan actually when uh, leviathan nids came out uh, in the previous eighth edition codex and uh it was you know i was kind of like man this thing's bouncing everywhere it's like killing my stuff what's going on so uh yeah that was good and then so we move on to so what happens now is that the pods uh if you win, win your pod you go to the top four and if you don't you get, if you're in the middle of the pod you go to uh say if you're x and one you go to the x and one pods that newly get formed so i was off to play uh the next round 
I've actually forgotten what. Oh no, yeah, okay. Next round, this is day uh, day two. I played against uh, Adam Lane, who I've played against oh, multiple Adam. times, and yeah, so he's he's bought a much better list this time. He's playing very uh, actually what I thought was initially I thought it was bad, but it's actually a really good Necron list. It's very similar to. I believe off the top of my head, the Australian WTC Necron list. It Liam. was, I believe so, yeah. It had three by nine scarabs, three by five wraiths. It had a big green of destroyers. Uh, it had one of the tomb spiders, I believe it's called, which like apparently hits like a truck in melee. Uh, and then it's got the, uh, obviously it got the Simon King. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was great. This like, for, for example, and in terms of the context of this tournament, this was kind of exactly what I was looking for. We were playing Tide of Conviction, which is the Dawn of War mission with four objectives in the middle. I'm playing against Necrons. This, as I kind of saw it, and as we talked about in episode one, was one of the lose conditions I thought where my army wasn't favored. So a multiple hold uh, objective mission with on Dawn of War uh, against Necrons. And I thought this is probably the matchup where I, I'm going into it. I'm probably 40% to win. Uh, Adam goes first and uh, just plays absolutely brilliantly. Um, a few of the nice tactics he really used were he charged my Hive Tyrant on objective with the Scarabs and then he blew one up so that I couldn't activate and he was out of combat and he was still on the objective. That was a great tactic. Uh, he put a Silent King right in the middle of the board where it could deny a power but also just meant that I had to just move around it and it just threatened the mid board a lot. Um, whilst not actually, whilst just shooting, it was it was just something that I either had to choose to come into or choose to move around. And then in addition to that, some Scarab shenanigans. Uh, the Wraiths actually were just really good. Like, oh, Wraiths are good. They're really good, man. They, I, I believe that, I, off the top of my head, they're minus one to hit in combat, wounds three, but they're damaged two, and they have a four up in vulnerable save. Correct. So, I mean, these things, I think they move like 12 to 14 inches. Mm -hmm. um, they're really good. Their units, their model size is the only thing that really brings them down. Um, so I ended up losing that game by about 15 points. What I did wrong that game was, uh, and I, this is just, this is exactly why you want to play these games for LGT, is that I over-prioritized my Neurothrope uh, that had the five obsec models. I went, I positioned him so that he could get more psychic damage. But what I should have done is I should have just put him on an objective in the middle so that he couldn't yap me off a objective with just one model. So that was a huge mistake by me. Uh, in addition to that, I shot his destroyers with my harpies and they had the light cover trait. And I think I only killed one destroyer with two harpies. That was a Ouch. big mistake. I should have either gone for the tomb spider that was on an objective or I should have, what I should have done is just shot scarabs. Because even though they can reanimate, they don't get a save against me, and like it, the efficiency of the shooting would be way better. Because it, you know he can just revive a destroyer as well. So a huge mistake by that um, by me uh, for doing that. And then apart from that, I think maybe maybe what I should have done is I should have bombed his Silent King with both my harpies, flown off the board, or kept them on. That would have, on average, removed both the minas, and then I could have charged the Silent King with a group of warriors. Now he could have last me but i probably i would have brought a silent king down a lot regardless of that and so maybe that was the player because the silent king was just able to sit there and dominate i played over the weekend i played very cagey i wanted to try and rely on the shooting a bit more and i think that was actually it was a wrong play in a lot of ways because a lot of the ways and the strengths of the army are that you're going to bully your opponent with your turn of warriors and they're going to commit into them and then you clean up afterwards where i let him kind of dictate the pace of the, of the fighting so 
um, you know, a ton of good lessons learned. And that's exactly the type of game that you want going into LGT. Um, and yeah, it was just, I mean, I learned so much that game and it was just, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a great opportunity to learn some of those lessons that you don't want to learn in a, in the big tournament, but we'll cover that, uh, in part three. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Adam is an absolutely lovely guy and he's a brilliant player as well. So that's a, that's a great one to go into an absolute meta Necrons list. And, and even if you take a loss, you usually learn more from those than anything else, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A great opportunity as, as I saw it as well. Nice. Then round five, I had Sid Saidu with 13 armagers. Now, Sid and I have played uh, two times prior to this, and uh, 13 armagers, I'm just going to say it now, is not a list that you really are enthused about playing against, regardless <laughs> of what you play. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, there's something, you know, you got to appreciate some part of it, which is just, I'm just playing 13 armagers, you know, like, it's so one-dimensional, and um, this was actually the time where I thought, okay, well, I've got the turn of Prime, who has an extra Venom Cannon. This is the matchup where I said in Episode 1, if I run into Knights, the Synaptic Imperative for exploding hits in range within 24, this is exactly the matchup I wanted for. Uh, and yeah, it worked out. I won't bore you guys with the details. Sid uh, went first, pushed into the middle objective, which allowed me to get a multi-charge. Uh, with my warriors which was kind of the it was a big um, error on his behalf to play but you know in all seriousness he basically has he basically had five halverins with auto cannons two lightning more axes and then seven and then six of the half melee half combat mm -hmm. ones and you know i'm not gonna lie but on an angular deployment board where he can cut lines and shoot my entire army for basically three or four turns that's exactly the type of list that's probably going to beat turners if you ask me because they're so mobile they have a massive amounts of damage output um and then so yeah but because he made the just a small blunder of putting too many knights in the middle i was able to multi-charge him and pick him up and get four i want to say four knights on turn one with my oh. harpies also outflanked i think i got three but my harp both my harpies were on outflank so um i was happy with that and then from there on you know it's knights it's just an, it's more or less an attrition matchup what I was kind of impressed by, though, is those Lightning Moraxes. I think that those are a little bit, maybe they're being undervalued a little bit right now. You might want to consider yeah. putting one in your list, perhaps, and uh, using the outflank strategy stratagem for one CP for Knights to put multiple Knights back in the outflank and have them come on effectively on the Knight player's turn, too, so you can get angles a lot easier and protect yourself. Um, yeah, so we ended up going three and two. I think I came like uh, seventh overall. So uh, yeah, but like I said, it was just such a great opportunity to a sort of meet a ton of people that um, you know I've been seeing over the tournament scene for ages now, and then get like game qualities where it's at that four and oh, five and oh, six and oh bracket wins. So yeah, all in all, had a great time. Fantastic. Yeah, that was a great recap, both of our events. And uh, I think that brings us to the end of part two. And part three is the, the main part where we're going to be talking about the leagues of OTAN. Catch you there. And that concludes part two. We hope you're enjoying the fireside, and we'll see you momentarily for part three. Just a small disclaimer when we talk about the Ymir strat for the Ion Beam, it only deals up to 4 mortal wounds to the target that you select. Alright, on to part 3, enjoy! 
All right, guys, welcome back to part three of the podcast. And we're going to be talking about the meta. And in particular, me and Dave have been doing some reading and some test games on the leagues of Votan, the squads, which have just been leaked um, online. Um, so, I, I mean, let's maybe we should do our like very high level takes on what we think about it, Dave. And, and we'll go from there. Where are you at with the leagues of Votan? Mm, the leagues of Brokan, yes. <laughs> Uh, this codex seems to have, if I were to explain it to someone who hasn't played in the last month, it seems to have everything that has made the top army of its flavor of the month time very powerful. They've seemed to somehow roll all of those abilities up into one codex. Uh, so you look, man, my initial impressions with a lot of people are that this is an extremely strong codex. They have flexible units and flexible stratagems, which allow them to become unpunished in the sense that they can react and then fall back and shoot or teleport or shoot into combat or deal mortal wounds and, and what like that. So, yeah, I think this army is really powerful. They even have Armor of Contempt and Turn Off Rerolls to Wound, which is just absolutely blisteringly powerful. The only thing is that they have shortish range weapons and they don't move as fast. So those are the only two weaknesses as I see them. What, what were your initial impressions, Vic? Well, I, I, as you know, I love if a new codex comes out, I'll make a list with the new codex most of the time if I like the aesthetic of the army. So I'm very used to analyzing new codexes and there are a number of things I look for with the new codex. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a look through the codex and I looked first of all for whether the army has any good secondaries. Mm. And then had a look and checked if their army had any good melee control. And by that, I mean, do they have heroic interventions, fight last, fight on death? The answer to all questions is yes. <laughs> and then I checked if they have a good durability in their units. Do they have the ability to create a tanky unit in the middle or are they playing a skirmishing game? Those are usually the two types that goes. Are they playing like Eldar or are they playing like Tyranids and Chaos Space Marines? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, the last point is looking for any kind of spike or combo damage, which usually I prefer to come from a ranged source. Mm. So that'll be like putting Guide, Doom, Dire Avengers getting Bladestorm and shooting something. And Leagues of Votan, I think that part of their damage is so easily um, achievable. There's so many combos that you can spread across multiple units to make their uh, damage output absolutely blistering. It's It's higher damage output than anything else in the game we had um hail of doom become extremely strong which was auto wounding on sixes on shuriken weapons uh leagues of otan have very easy access to auto wounding on sixes via something called uh is it judgment tokens judgment tokens yes you've judgment been judged tokens. by the dwarves where they basically put a grudge on you and they remain for the whole game. And these tokens rack up to three tokens on a unit. They're moderately easy to put on a unit. It's very easy to pick the units that you want to put them on. And when a unit has two judgment tokens, you auto wound on fives with anything in your army uh, in shooting and combat. On three tokens, you auto wound on fours. And on one token, you auto wound on sixes. So mm -hmm. that mechanic alone makes the damage output absolutely insane. On top of that, just being so incredibly efficient with their shooting output is, is yeah, they're extremely strong. Mm. And if you thought that Hail of Doom was powerful, <laughs> you need to think back to Enriched Rounds for uh, Skatari Vanguard and when Admech dropped. This was a 1CP stratagem where you had 60 shots from a squad auto-wounding on 4-ups at AP2. Uh, AP1, sorry. And this stratagem got 
nerfed in the very first round of iterations of nurse for admic uh, it got put to an auto wound on five up for two cp and no one subsequently used it after that uh, this 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 is basically an army-wide enriched rounds and when we when we talk about this and and judgment tokens which is fundamentally how the army plays through judgment tokens you can get them in three ways whenever an opponent's enemy unit performs an action or a psychic action they get a judgment token okay while in ninth edition you do actions all the time okay great at the beginning of your turn you can pick one enemy unit on an objective it gets a judgment token fantastic guess what you do in ninth edition you sit on objectives <laughs> great uh and then the last way of doing it is whenever an enemy unit kills your unit they get a judgment token okay well guess what you do in ninth edition you're obviously playing Warhammer. You, you kill each other right so so in, in my experience of playing a couple of games with this by about turn three everything has one judgment token at least which means that your whole army is bar none hail of doom and that's all well and good but there's also a warlord that can at the start of your command phase if he can see a unit he can add a judgment token or there's also a warlord trait where he can do it twice but he can't stack them on one unit and then perhaps the most powerful stratagem is the searchlight stratagem, I believe, which is one CP. After you score a hit with the searchlight unit, add one judgment token to that. And guess what has a searchlight keyword is the Hearthkin Pioneers, which are the bikers for the Leagues of Votan. And these bikers are just, in terms of a data sheet, extremely strong. You would play them in probably every army that exists today. Uh, but in addition to that, they also enable your army to completely nuke uh, one target by getting very easily up to four judge, uh, three judgment tokens. Sorry. Now, Vic, you touched on uh, what you looked in the book in terms of the wombo combo. Uh, I know what it is. So why don't you just let our listeners know what the wombo combo is? How did your how did your brick of ten terminators compare to the leagues of Votan? <laughs> so I've done a few test games as well, and um, so I played a game against my Empress. So I love Tabletop Simulator because it's very easy to set up a game against yourself and try out new armies against the army of any army you like. Um, so I thought I'll try Leagues of Otan against Emperor's Children. I'll take uh, some of these uh, these land fortresses. So these Hecaton <laughs> land fortresses are the uh, kind of land raider that Votan get, and they come with a type of weapon called a beam weapon. Now, the beam weapons essentially uh, pick a target and any unit between them and the target gets hit by the beam weapon if it hits the main target. Uh, it's kind of like Mortarion's gun. It's um, It's been there for a while and it's never been good because it's usually been on melee units. But this is dedicated shooting unit. You can line up your beam. And it's long range as well, which makes yeah. it the, the, the best part as well. A Mortarion, I believe, is 12 inches or something, which is just really hard to line up. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the tank has a main beam, which is a 30-inch uh, strength 9, minus 3, uh, 4 damage beam. It's got two shots, and if you're shooting outside <laughs> of 15 inches, it gives an additional hit for each hit, so quite brutal. But it can also come with four little beams, so little ion beamers, uh, which are two shots each, strength 7 beams. So And those are 18 inches. Now, there's a sub-faction called uh, Ymir Conglomerate, which uh, gives plus four inches to range, which is potentially probably the strongest sub-faction. So you're probably likely to see that one quite a lot. Oh, in addition in addition to that, it also gives a four-up invulnerable save if you have a two-up base save, which the Hickerton Land Fortress has, and your entire army gets a five-up invulnerable save, which is, <laughs> you know, the exact thing that you're missing on your entire four-up save uh, troop army. 
Absolutely. So the wombo <laughs> combo with the beams, uh, which gets a bit wild, is um, Ymir Conglomerate have a stratagem for one CP where you pick a beam weapon. So you usually pick the main beam weapon of your Hecaton Land Fortress. And uh, every time you score a hit, it does a mortal wound in addition. So if you, let's say, line up two targets on this beam, which is quite easy to do with a 30-inch beam, um, and you get two hits, it counts as four hits. Both of the units that get hit by the beam take four mortal wounds on top of the two uh, four damage hits. So quite a lot there. And then on top of that, there are two more strats that you can use. One is as soon as you score a hit with a beam, uh, every time you score a hit with a beam on a four plus, that unit takes a mortal wound uh, up to a max of six mortal wounds. And that applies to the rest of the shooting phase. So the rest of your army can also trigger that off with their beams. So we're currently on 10 mortal wounds, excluding the beam going through things with the Ymir stratagem. And then finally, there's another 1CP stratagem where any <laughs> ion weapons would score a unmodified 6 to wound, do a mortal wound in addition. Mm. Now, the little beams on the Hecaton Land Fortress are ion beams, so they are ion weapons. And um, this one also maxes out at 6. Now, very importantly, with judgment tokens, anytime you trigger off your judgment token ability, so if you have one token on a six plus and, and so on, um, it counts as an unmodified six to wound, even though it's auto wounding because it says that in the rule. Great. So that's another potential six mortal wound. So are we on 16 mortal wounds? I think, there, I think I've taken 16 at this point and I haven't made a single <laughs> save against your, uh, against your actual weapon yet, right? Which is four at like negative four flat four as well, right? Okay, cool. Just keep telling me how much more I'm taking, man. Sure, I'll roll the saves eventually. <laughs> so that's from a 250-point unit, which is extremely difficult to kill, so extreme durability. Um, so output on single focus targets is immense. In my practice game, I had, um, I think it was two Hecaton Land Fortresses and one unit of their basic troops shoot at my Terminator blob, and they killed eight out of ten. And that's fully buffed. So mm. th that's nothing else in the game can do that. So <laughs> extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if, if you can't tell, I'm scratching my forehead right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, guys, this is, this is an immense level of output that has, I don't think we've ever seen in a game before. And when Vic says the tank is strong in terms of its toughness profile, defensive profile, it's mega strong. It's toughness eight. It's got a two-up save with AOC, so it's on an effective one-up. It's got a four-up and vulnerable save. You can't reroll wounds against it. It's got 16 base wounds. You can top bracket it, even if it's damaged. Your Forge Master can reduce a damage that it takes to zero, so you can't even railgun it. Fantastic. Oh, by the way, the Forge Master also heals for flat four in the, in the at the end of the movement phase. So let's say you deal, you, let's say you get the Land Fortress down to four wounds or, or three wounds. It heals back up to seven, and then they can top bracket it. And then you've got to do the whole thing time and time again. I mean, this, this platform is absolutely bonkers strong. And by the way, it can shoot into combat at zero penalty because all the weapons are hunter weapons, of course. So even if you tag it in combat, which is arguably the only way to actually deal with this platform, uh, you're certainly not going to win a shooting game unless you've got um, the right range profile for it. Uh, absolutely. If you tag it up in combat, it can shoot into combat. And it can reliably shoot into combat so well that you can shoot your beam weapon probably at a different target, use your other four or five beams to shoot whatever's in combat, and then just laugh your way to the bank. This is and this is one data sheet that we've talked about. 
I'm going to rattle off a couple of the other data sheets that are really powerful here too. Mm-hmm. So uh, Carl, who is your kind of like real ones to hit warlord, um, gives the judgment token when he can see at the start of the command phase, and he's like 90 points or 80 points, so he's really good. Uh, Grimir is your cast two psychic person who also comes with four little drone things. No, no, it comes with two little drone things. And then your forge master that you upgrade comes with four different little drone things that it comes with, or like an armor smith and two and three other things. So That's you've it. got a five man little character unit, a three man little character unit. And by the way, guys, these guys are these like 110 points per, per unit, <laughs> and they are insanely strong, right? So that's your supportive uh, attache. You then equip whatever you have with a comms upgrade, which counts every unit as being within, if you're within 24 inches of your cowl, it counts them as being within the aura range. So as long as you're in a unit you shoot is within 24 inches of your cowl, you get to reroll ones to hit. Fantastic. So cowl basically has a 24 inch aura of reroll ones to hit. Great. <laughs> the the Hearthkin Warriors are they move five sure they're not the most they're not not the best part of the army but they're actually deceptively durable and because you can auto win on four ups like at a group of twenty shots took off eight wounds on my Bellacor when we played eight oh, wounds beautiful. on my Bellacor when we played this is a hundred and ten point unit okay <laughs> that's not the strongest that's probably the army we that's the part of the army where you would target it if you're looking for a weakness. To back that up, you've got this incredible utility unit called the Hearthkin Pioneers, which we touched on earlier, which are the bikers. Now, these models are effectively pointed at 9 to 10 points per wound. Great. On a Toughness 5 multi-wound platform that moves 12 inches, is obsec for some reason. Okay, fantastic. Has flies. Armor of Contempt. It flies. It, it has mine, it's, You can't reel wounds against it. And by the way, it gets a scout move at the start of the game. So you can move these things 24 inches at the start of the game. And then, for some reason, they also have a 10-point upgrade, which you want to do if you're going to do it, to upgrade their weapons to heavy weapons, which for some reason gives them an amazing gun, but also gives the model that you upgrade an extra wound as well. So you're you're not even dropping your wounds to toughness to save ratio when you're upgrading a weapon. It's still staying at 9 to 10 points, which is a statistic that I use a, lo- a lot as well. So the, the oh my man, these this, this, this army is incredibly strong. And what I think I said in the previous episode is I was praising GW for releasing codexes that were balanced, had identity, had flavor. I think that this has gone completely out the window with this codex personally. I think that there are so many limited, there, there is a limitation of data sheets in this army to begin with. And there are some data sheets that are enormously powerful. So what you're going to come to is the result that all of these lists will probably play. And here's the high line. You want to play Ymir, you want to use beams, you want three land fortresses, the minimum troops, the three characters and bikes, whatever combination you do after that is, is, is whatever. And then people will figure this out really quick. Uh, and there's already been a bunch of lists going on online here. And that's that's what every game will look like. And that, for me, is a sad place of, of Warhammer in the future. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Vic? I, that's my rant over. I won't rant I mean, anymore about it. I want to rant as well. <laughs> Go for it. Out, so. <laughs> I, I think the problem is it's not only extreme damage output, but when you combine durability along with a points cost that is very forgiving, the whole army becomes forgiving. So... All three of the test games I've had, you essentially put them out in any combination of directions. Sure, there's a little bit of room for optimization in terms of how you position units, but you can almost do anything 
as long as you're just thinking, okay, my plan is to shoot next turn, set up just to shoot. It doesn't matter if they're going to tag you, anything like that. Just set up so you can have some line of sight. Do that. The damage output is so incredible. You have so much more stuff than you should that you're just going to win every game except for the mirror. And mm. that that's horrible. That's that's exactly the problem we've had with some of the most broken codexes, like when Dark Technomancers was really good, when... Uh, Oh, maybe not Admex so much, but yeah, a little bit. And also uh, Harlequins with their Void Weavers. Yeah. And, turn, and want... admittedly, Turnids as well, you know, who had Absolutely. way too much stuff on the board for how many points they could get. It's fine for new stuff to be good. What it shouldn't be is broken. Mm. And I think this army is outright broken. Uh, uh, maybe we can touch on some weak potential weaknesses or what mm. the community perceives as weaknesses on yep. this, Dave. Because... I've been seeing a lot of comments online. I don't know what your immediate thoughts are on if there are weaknesses to this army. Hmm. So let's. I think let's do this through the lens of uh, the Chaos Demons game that I played against Vix Votan. Sure. So in context, I was playing uh, my Chaos Demons list that I was playing at the time was Bellacore, Lord of Change, 3x6 Flamers. I think I had 1x5 there. 3x10 um, Bloodletters, big unit of Blood Crushers, uh, and then um, some Flesh Hounds. And whatnot like that. Now, turn one, Vic. Um, you know, we chat about this after the game, one like that. Um, Vic kind of overextends his bikes. I pick them up for free. I stay basically hard, hard tight in my deployment zone. And then turn two, I get basically the miracle turn on turn two, right? I advance my Bellacore out. I roll a five. I can warp locus everything within six. I've got like five different charges where I can wrap and gum up Vic's entire army. And I've just had my flamers come down out of deep strike. I've used the ability to reduce your leadership and extend the aura range for the warp storm points that I saved up from the first turn. Like it's all set to go, you know, all 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 guns blazing. Now the leagues of Votan can obviously intercept, so they can all spec scan for two CP with any unit. Okay, fantastic. Vic, I, there's nothing I can do about that. So Vic yep. gets to pick that up for free. Okay, kills a unit. Uh, then obviously they can Overwatch as well. Uh, I make all but one of my charges. Okay, great. I, you know, I kill units and one like that. I don't do anywhere near as much damage as I was as I was hoping. Like I was trying to kill a Hecaton Land Fortress and one like that. But after after all that happened, Vic could literally just tear apart the rest of my army that was on board with, I would say, like relative ease. And he mm -hmm. did it with more or less like one Land Fortress and a group of six bikers. Now, in terms of weaknesses, what I was thinking is that the army is relatively slow and it has short-ish range. Um, obviously, the bikes are really fast, so that's a great compliment. So I was like, okay, what I'm going to do is stay KG in my deployment zone until I can deep strike and warp locus everything to my Bellacore so that I can break those range lines really early and Vic won't be able to shoot me and tear me apart on the on the first two turns of his turn. And uh, I effectively got to do that. Um, but the problem is that the, the army has so much redundancies that I couldn't, despite having basically a miracle turn, I still couldn't contest Vic on the board. And like we said... 10 Hearthgun Warriors dealt 8 wounds to my Bellacor because all of a sudden getting the judgment tokens on Bellacor was a joke. And the common part about the army is that it doesn't matter what defensive profile you have on the wound side because you can auto-win on 4-up. You just basically ignore all that. So, yeah, it was it was just really tough. I think range is one of the parts where Votan struggle. I think probably an, an all-out shooting knights list is probably maybe good against Votan. 
You see, yeah. I think now that the boards have become smaller, I think the range bracket that Votan have on their medium-powered guns is actually pretty, pretty good. I mm. mean, with the plus four inches of range, you're working on kind of the 22 to 34 inch range bracket on their weapons, mm-hmm. uh, which is more than enough, to be honest, because as much as people might say that they're slow, and yes, the base troops moving five and anything on foot moving five is slow, the fact that the bikes move 12 and they have a pre-game move immediately lets you get angles with a very high volume of shots on the bikes mm-hmm. um and then the land fortresses moving 10 with their guns means that if you're not too cautious and you just kind of go for it you will get range and angles on turn two so what i found from my three games is that like melee armies have an approach turn into the middle of the board like leagues of otan have an approach turn into like the edge of their deployment zone mm. and then the next turn anywhere the opponent goes the movement is just about enough that you'll get angles onto everything and that means that in my opinion i don't think the army is actually slow it's yep. it's just one turn like it takes a turn and one then turn. you blow your opponent up yeah. one turn and then you delete about a thousand points <laughs> of your opponent's army with relative ease and and the problem being is that it's not just relative ease it is so incredibly consistent. There is almost nothing in the army where you need to think, do I need to overcommit this way? Do I never have backup fire redundancy? Right? Because auto winning on four ups with rerolls, one of your tanks is even plus one to hit as well. It's it's ridiculous. And the army is so durable that you can actually just use your land fortresses to go onto objectives. If you go first, you can't shoot anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with just pushing your land fortresses out, getting onto objectives and then dominating the board from a primary perspective also, and then whatever your opponent um, answers with, you're, you're more than durable enough already, and then you just clean up everything after the fact. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it's a lot like what you do with bricks that bully in the middle, except mm-hmm. this feels like the whole army does it. <laughs> you, you go in, they sure, they kill you, but they don't kill enough to match up to the amount of damage they're taking back. Mm. Um, yeah, yes. it's, it's tough, man. <laughs> I, I'm just going to make a prediction now. Um, one of the things that I really dislike about this codex also is that it has a staggered model release. And off the top of your head, you might not think that's such a big deal. But this codex, guys, is so powerful that people will want to play this at tournaments. And then they will bring a fully converted army to play this at tournaments. There won't be any specific model dimensions released. So you'll have... People playing models all over the show, playing, quote, Leagues of Votan, which is going to be incredibly busted. And I think the combination of those two just leads for a lot of just feels really bad. And as a tournament competitor, uh, someone who's potentially trying to go for rank one, it doesn't leave me with a lot of options, given how strong this codex is, to, to not play Leagues of Votan. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the sad reality of it, too, is that it's so powerful that is it, even, is, is it even a question of whether or not you can afford not to play it if you're trying to win uh, and compete? Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's a tough one. I mean, uh, I'm, so I played um, two games uh, today, which was one was against Sisters. And I think in Ymir with the four up in, well, the multi-melters can't do enough. The combat doesn't do enough. And it's, it's just a mess. I think um, you end up getting really bullied in your your kind of uh, deployment zone uh, and and sisters i really don't think have a game on uktc terrain against this matchup now the chaos space marine game was very interesting because mm-hmm. the last message i sent you was guys I've, I've rolled it out and all 10 of my terminators and the demon prince sitting behind it have died mm. just to like a small spattering of things shooting 
I've never lost the Terminators before, but <laughs> I did play the rest of the game out with all the little characters and everything and the noise marines running around the edge. And actually, it's incredibly close at the end. Hmm. If you can keep applying pressure to this army and you can make sure you don't get... Like normally what I do is I stick a Blastmaster out to shoot. Mm -hmm. There is no point shooting anything at the Hecaton Land Fortresses. Nothing mm -hmm. like a Blastmaster. It's a premium anti-tank, but there's no point. You'll get one wound through, which they'll turn to zero, or they'll heal the second one up as if it, nothing happened. So just keep everything really deeply tucked into ruins, sitting on objectives, try and crunch them a little bit on the primary, and you can at least keep the score close. And I think if the Votan player makes a mistake, you can try and capitalize on it with melee units. That's probably the only way I can see this working. Um, mm -hmm. But anything which tries to engage in a shooting fight with them is going to lose. Mm -hmm. Anything that plays with fragile units is going to lose. Um, fast melee has a small chance until the leagues of OTAN players become more experienced and they, they learn how to cut those safe positions out. So oh, it's tough. Mm. Psych it's I, will, I will also add psychic is a way to tackle, to combat the army as well. That's yeah, a completely fair point. If I was looking at Leagues of OTAN, thinking about that from a Turner perspective, if I, if I went first and I could use the Harpies to move block the land fortresses, mm -hmm. knowing that I would just be giving them both of them up to try and get my warriors in the mid board to then multi-charge the entire army, I could maybe win. Maybe. But I think a really good Votan player would be able to counteract things like that and just use the beams in such a smart way that it would be really tough to avoid getting hit by multi-damage. And guys, it is really hard to avoid not getting beamed because the <laughs> yeah. opponent controls where their land fortress can move, obviously. And it does closest point to closest point. And, you know, it does it moves 10 inches. So thinking about how you can avoid beam splash damage on top of everything you've got to do normally in the game is really taxing. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how it all turns out. But, I mean, my prediction is that they will absolutely dominate the meta. Um, and they'll probably, sh people will try and shift to try and counter it, but I don't think there's a good enough counter available with what we have at the moment. Um, so yeah, it could be could be the, the whole meta catching on fire kind of situation here. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Let's segue <laughs> that into, I touched on it a little bit before, but Chaos Demons. Last week, I made a couple of statements that the Bellacore I wasn't sold on. I flip-flopped on that one. <laughs> and we're, we're allowed to flip-flop. I was wrong. Bellacore is quite good. He's he's deceptively tanky as well from shooting, which is great. And then uh, he gives you access to all the Warp Storm powers. And then he also has a Locust keyword. So he is a really big enabler of your army. Uh, you know, his, his chapter master real wall of trait is like, not even that good. I, I Most of the lists I've created, I haven't even taken it. Um, but the lists, uh, what I wasn't so impressed with is actually the Lord of Change because... Sometimes his output, the Lord of Change, is just not that great. And I'm, I love a, I love a good psychic caster. Uh, and you know, I love him because he's dynamic and move around, and then psychic, and then infernal uh, gateway. You know, three D, you know, plus three inches uh, mortal wounds, and a two up you take mortal wounds. The problem is, is that the reliability just isn't there. So, kind of what I've landed on is Bellacore in a supreme detachment, and then a mixed battalion of Corn, I think. 
And I've basically taken two um, psychic casters, like two, uh, I believe they're called change casters, like the 80 point Zinch ones that cast two, that move six inches. And then I've taken a corn little beat stick character, the 80 point skull taker, I think. And then I've taken five units of bloodthirsters. Uh, and then I've followed that up with. Um, it's so, blood letters, right? Uh, blood letters. Yeah, five no units problem. of ten. Five blood letters <laughs> would be terrifying. Yeah, that'd be quite good. <laughs> um, yeah, so like fifty blood letters, and then I've also taken um, some flesh hounds because I think they're a good value, and then three units of six flamers. Like, of course, why would you not take that? And the way that I think you really need to use the army is have a little fast character or fast moving platform that can get within aura range or into turn two into your opponent's army. Use the warp storm powers so that you're minusing their leadership even further. Dropping your uh, blood leaders down either within six inches of your Bellacore that hopefully you can get to the middle of the board on turn two if he's not uh, not dead. And then um, really skirmish around the outsides of the entire board. Uh, and also try and use the, um, uh, I think it's called Wreath Shadows, which allows you to teleport your Flamer squads uh, uh, yep. and deep strike them. That's the real dynamic power of the army. The issue fundamentally is, is that demons are really easy to pick up after the turn they come down. And Vix Votanus, like we talked about, basically pick them all up with absolutely zero problems. The thing that I would try and avoid is, and this is the mistake that I made, is don't get your flamers into combat uh, ever. Because <laughs> actually picking them out sometimes, even with the psychic power, is not reliable at all. Like I wrapped uh, Vix um, Hecaton Fortress. Uh, and then I just gun myself up in combat and I couldn't realistically fall back and, and still shoot. So just, I think, play the flames at range. Even if you come down flame something and then your opponent can shoot them back, just don't worry about it because you're going to be taking three up saves anyway and then you'll be able to move and, and shoot them the next turn as well. So yeah, that's my that's my little spiel on Chaos Demons. I think they're actually probably a a minus army at the moment, maybe. You do have the advantage of your opponent probably not really knowing what's going on, <laughs> uh, which is you know it's a real uh, you know it's a real uh, advantage, um, you know. Uh, but fundamentally, the, the data sheets are not incredibly powerful, and the, it's actually the output is quite good. The output's good, I would say. It's just that the durability is really lacking there. What yeah, What were your I, thoughts on the demons? I mean, I think it's an army without shooting. That's immediately a negative for me. Mm. Um, I, I always think that they come with weaknesses like that. It's also an army that primarily deep strikes. That's both a strength and a weakness. Um, and you have to wait a turn to do most of your stuff. And then when you do come in, uh, especially if your opponent went first, they have a lot of ability to screen. Now, things have changed. There's no longer any stranglehold engagement is as, isn't as good anymore. So people aren't bringing those little one-man units to go and screen and do things so much unless they have a secondary specifically made for it, like Iron Hands or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I think an army like Demons is well-positioned in the meta to disrupt things a little bit. I think they come with too many weaknesses and too high a general point cost relative to the output and durability of the army to truly compete to win events consistently. Um, I, I, I would probably not put them in that top kind of seven or eight factions, but I know a lot of other content producers are thinking they're absolutely incredible. So I could be a bit wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, maybe... Uh... No, I'm not going to play demons. <laughs> I mean, if Tyranids get nerfed, I will. I will play demons. Uh, that's for sure. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. 
I think maybe now's the time. We'll go on and uh, answer a couple of viewer questions. So I know we sure. had one about Aldari. What are your kind of thoughts about Aldari uh, at the moment, Vic? I'm not going to talk about this because I have no clue, guys. Uh, kind of what are the medalists and what would you take if you were forced to play Aldari to LGT? So I love Eldar. And as soon as the Eldar Codex came out and that Hail of Doom list, I, I went straight for it. I like took it to an event almost immediately. And people uh, uh for some reason i got a reputation as the uh, like a one of the, like the main hail of doom players i like that i enjoyed that um and i loved the way the army worked but i think a little bit excessively eldar took many many nerfs in the last data balanced data slate mm -hmm. and when it immediately came out People felt like Eldar got off very lightly. Hail of Doom became all-consuming, so you couldn't take a second trait with it. And then uh, a number of units got small points upgrades across the board. And people saw that and they said, okay, just run the same Hail of Doom list. No problem. It'll be fine. Uh, and then they looked at Harlequins, where Dark got extremely heavily nerfed. And... Um, their luck dice got very heavily nerfed as well. And they said, well, look, Harlequins are going to be rubbish now. Job done. Uh, like, yeah, Eldar's still good. Harlequins got a massive nerf. Hmm. And as soon as I read that, I thought exactly the opposite. I think Harlequins have got off with this completely fine. And Eldar have been nerfed very severely because the nerfs around the game and the way the missions are played hit Eldar very hard. Losing to the last was one of the key secondary objectives that Eldar were using before, and Stranglehold was extremely useful as well. They also made Engage a little bit harder, which makes it quite tricky in the middle of the game. So you end up with an army that is does less damage overall um, and has uh, less units on the board because everything's more expensive, has a much worse secondary game, because now you have to be active rather than passive. And you end up with an army which is considerably weaker than it was before, to the point where I personally feel it doesn't truly compete at the top levels. And I think the results from things like WTC and stuff show that Eldar were not doing too well there. And I think it's only going to be worse now when we see their results in UKTC as armies have to switch away from running so many swooping hawks now that they maybe don't have ignore cover on them or you're dropping hail of doom so the overall output is just too low relative to the durability of the army and I think their win rate will just start plummeting and it has been plummeting they're, mm. they're winning way less events their win rate is way down and I think people are understanding now that Craftworld Eldar are maybe not one of the strongest factions anymore mm. Saying that, there have been a few good results with them. The second place uh, at Nova was an Altway list, and there's been a few little Altway lists here and there which have been doing well. What does that? Uh, what does that do, by the way? Because I see that uh, second place Altway, and I think, like, what is going on here? You know, I I can't explain it. It's a, Nova was open boards. Hmm. He had three Falcons. Okay. Um, and I think he was essentially just playing the mission, quite mm. aggressively trying to play the mission and throwing away his units. It's worked out, I'm guessing, he's probably quite a skilled player. I've seen his name before in places, so he could have just outskilled his opponents mm -hmm. uh, to, to success, which amazing for him. But and, and I think still a lot of top players and really experienced players can take the tools that Craftworld Eldar have to some level of success. But I feel like it will always be an uphill battle against some of the better armies in the meta. Um, so sure. I think I think that exactly, actually, that second place result 
uh, it kind of exemplifies also the big advantage you have if your opponents aren't getting reps in against the army you're playing. Um, and that, that can have a really big impact on it as well, which is a serious consideration when you're thinking about what army you're going to bring to a tournament, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I think what could possibly run now, I think if you go pure Craft World Eldar, I personally like running Ignore Cover as one of the traits and still leaning into Swooping Hawks. Maybe now, because without to the last, you don't need to lean into 10-man units, and actually the 6-man units of Swooping Hawks are excellent. Um, you, and for a second trait, you have quite a few different options. You can improve your psychic ability with Ch Children of Prophecy. You can go for Exploding Sixes in combat with Vengeful. Um, you could also go the kind of Team Australia WTC style with uh, Swift Strike, so you can advance and still battle focus, um, which is also strong. But I think ignore cover plus something else for uh, an outputty kind of Eldar list. And then if you want to actually have a bit more success, I think Yanari give tools um, to allow you to play the melee side with a lot of tricks uh, quite nicely because mm. being able to include harlequin troops and give them a number of different buffs so that their output goes extremely high is actually a very useful tool for eldar um so i think that combined with the spiky damage of the yinkan lets you play a really fun aggressive game where you're trying to outskill and out trade your opponent which is it's really cool and i'm really glad people have been doing well with it uh that's definitely one that i would love to get onto the board but i'm just enjoying the emperor's children too much at the moment <laughs> <laughs> and rightfully so taking that cheeky 5-0 at the gt if you missed part two there you go uh the last few question we had that we thought we'd tackle is preparing for a major event uh preparing for a tournament we're probably i want to say a week and a half out from list submissions maybe two weeks out from the lgt lgt uh being in the beginning of october so i thought it'd be a good opportunity just to talk about what uh how i'm thinking about the event and what i'm thinking about um submitting at the moment i'm primarily trying to observe the meta and predict where it's going to go and my impressions so far in uktc have been that the output of lists has dramatically increased particularly at shooting now uh there was a list at the invitational i probably didn't really want to play and it, it's been moved into one of the more coin flippy ones is that kyle grundy's riptide riptide uh sunshark bombers list uh, you can check it out on the stream for warhammer tournaments if you want to check it out too uh we didn't end up playing but that's you know that's a really good example of a list that has just gone full output right like okay I understand that my secondaries are not great. I'm just going to try and table you and uh, and bully you off the board. That, believe it or not, is actually are, those are lists that Turned, well, Leviathan Warriors don't actually fear so well into. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we've got knights, and I think the knight lists are, are gravitating more towards the four plus five plus auto cannon Halvrin shooters, which is, I mean, once again, that's worrying because I, at the end of the day, I'm I'm still trying to make it across the board and uh, trying to get into combat, so that's worrying. Uh, and then Necrons, you know, they have the one destroyer unit that has quite a lot of output as well. So those are like those are the big boogeymen. Uh, Harlequins is kind of an auto win matchup, so you know I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> thankfully, um, Harlequins don't do great into Warriors, um, but you know, so it's led me thinking a lot about the elements in my list that I. I'm finding a little bit lackluster. And for that, I'm finding it is the Harpies, actually. Now, Harpies have been fantastic for me across 
basically all of the success I've had, even with Leviathan uh, Crusher Stampede at, at Las Vegas. So I'm, I'm pretty hesitant to maybe think about taking them out the list. But in many of the games where I feel like I could potentially lose, the Harpy was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, versus Knights with the auto cannon spams, the Harpies basically start the game in outflank, which reduces my CP. And then against things like uh, Tau, where it's, you know, Hammerhead, Longstrike, Riptides, Sunstrike Bombers, you, I mean, they have to go back into outflank again, and they don't have that tremendous impact when they hit the board, especially if you're playing Strangles on Cannons. Now, where they do really shine is that versus armies like Drakari and Eldari, they are, I mean, they're they're incredible guys. Like, they can almost win the game by themselves. They have so many shots. You can shoot all their units, and, and I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a field day. It's like shooting fish in a bell. <laughs> um, so, but those matchups, I'm thinking, maybe I can just win anyway without the Harpy. And so, you know, maybe thinking about that 350 points of Harpies that I have, what can I flex that into? And I've been thinking sort of around, oh, and the Turnip Prime. My interpretation of the Turnip Prime after the event is that I wouldn't play it at 80 points. I found that whilst it was the Imperative was good, I was having to use the cast to put it on a unit, which isn't great. And then the character itself wasn't amazing at 80 points, like it didn't it didn't do wonders for me admittedly i could have played it better um but i I just found it hard to activate and i kind of found that it sat at the back of the not the back of the board but in the mid board and didn't really you know hit home a lot of ways so i think i would drop that drop the two harpies which would free me up with 430 points now what i do think is reasonally good against necrons la di da di da is maybe the old uh maybe the old carnifixes you know Oh, yeah. They have the inbuilt minus one damage, which against destroyers is, I mean, that's pretty good. You can give one of them light cover, which is also nice because it's on a base one-up save there. And then actually their, their melee output is quite good. So you get a relevant, if you're going to go with the Carnifix with the Heavy Venom Cannon, you get a relevant shooting platform that can also activate into melee. Those are the two things you want versus Necrons because you want things that just have raw output. And then against Knights, that's great. You've got a Heavy Venom camp platform. Uh, that's going to be minus one tap from your Venom Throps on effective two up, one up save. That's great. And then also the Stone Crusher Carnage. Uh, no, sorry, the that's the Screamer Killer. How can I forget him? Uh, with his big 11 attacks. The Screamer Killer is pretty good against Necrons too. Minus one damage is actually really sick against Wraiths. And actually, minus one damage in the meta, just think about it right now. It's pretty it's actually, solid. It's pretty good, right? Because against Necrons, minus one damage is uh, really good if more than play Wraiths. And then against knights, minus one damage is, you know, that's that's perfectly great. Uh, you know, against auto cannons, it's good. And then you're saving your auto cannons on four ups, uh, and they're wounding it. Um, well, they're hitting on minus one hit for your venom drops too. So, look, man, maybe I just uh, cut the harpies a little bit and play a couple of carnifixes. I think, you know, they do take a lot more. <laughs> you lose, you know, you lose the bomb as well, which is tough. But you do gain a raw output platform that is less of a lenient. Uh, against some of these armies that you need to outflank your harpies against. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, I think the meta is getting even more killy at ranged, which is a scary thought for Tyranids as well. Yeah. What are your impressions? So, so I can see, um, uh, me included, just looking at my box full of sisters as soon as you said you're dropping the harpies and being like, oh, maybe there's, maybe there's a chance <laughs> now. Maybe I've got a chance. Because just to be clear, Dave has been smashing me with those harpies while I was playing Eldar, sisters, and now all of a sudden I switched to Chaos Space Marines and they're thinking of disappearing? Mm, <laughs> a bit suspicious. Duck but... and weave, duck and weave. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so here, here's me when I submit um, 
submit the <laughs> sisters and the harpies will still be there ruining my life mm. um, but yeah no i think that's a really good observation there um and the harpies can be a liability as people build in build in the long-range shooting to kill things like shun, sun shark bombers and harpies um so it's interesting because when you put them into strategic reserve they become a very different tool to them starting on the board and people also are moving away from armies like Eldar and Sisters, which are very vulnerable to the Harpies, mm -hmm. and moving a lot more to units that sit in cover, maybe with Armor of Contempt. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting observation. So I think, obviously, we're going to like wait until this submission before we say exactly what we've submitted. But in terms of ideas, yeah, that's a really good thing to think about where the meta is going to go. Mm. Um, I feel like you would submit Emperor's Children at this point. I think, I think just between us, I think you're you're sold. I can see that you're smiling when you're playing them. You're having a really good time oh, with them. It's just really fun. It's 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 a powerful list as well, and I think it also has a big advantage of it's not going to be on people's radar as well. I'm not going to lie, but if I had the models, I would potentially even uh, even go for them as well. You know, the the thing which I love is this moment where it's a slow army. The the army everything moves is slower than leagues of Otan. Okay, mm -hmm. right? It's slower than squats. And when you get this setup where you end your turn and you look at your opponent and they're thinking, okay, right, let me plan my turn. He's got loads of stuff which I can do. He he thinks he's got loads of stuff which he can do, but all of a sudden he realizes he can't go onto any objective. The threat range is too much, so we can't move forward. All the firing angles are covered. And, oh, that satisfaction when your opponent's <laughs> just like, oh, no, I've got nothing I can do here. That's what I love about Empress Children. Just Sounds... pain and suffering. We're going to have to get some practice games in. <laughs> Empress Children versus uh, Screamer Killer kind of fix. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Play this game 15 or something like that. But, but saying that, I'm, I might realistically have a little test around with Creations of Bile. And mm -hmm. uh, especially if they don't get hit by a nerf before LGT, because I think there's potential that we might get a balanced data slate very shortly. Yep. Uh, and I'm expecting Creations of Bile to go the way of uh, Dark Harlequins. Um, if they I, do, hmm. oh, do you not think so? I don't think Creations of Bile are going to be on the radar, I think. I think it's only going to be, if they're going to do something, it'll only be Necrons and Turnids, personally. Maybe Knights, a little bit. Interesting, uh, because I think... Creations of Bile has had a little bit of community noise about mm. it. Um, uh, it's been winning a number of events. It's probably the most successful Legion. And a lot of people are saying like, oh, yeah, if you have a melee army, you just immediately lose to this Creations yep. of Bile army. So that kind of feels bad. It's probably something the Games Workshop do want to try and correct. Whether or not they nerf it as hard as Dark, I'm, I'm not sure if they'll go in that hard. Um, but hopefully it's measured and appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> measured and appropriate. That's what we would like to see from Games Workshop, and I think that's a great note to end on uh, with the leagues of Brokan. Uh, <laughs> measured and appropriate Games Workshop. That's what we would like to see the FAQ errata to be to put Leagues of Otan uh, back in its place on day one of the release. <laughs> legends. Straight into Legends. Straight into Legends. <laughs> it's an only Crusade army. There you go, Fangs. Um, that, that's it for today's episode, uh, guys. Uh, we hope you've had a great time listening, and we really appreciate all the new people that have come in to listen to episode two of the 40k Fireside podcast. And if you're a returning listener from episode one, welcome again. Uh, we hope you guys had a great time listening, and once again, any feedback that you've got is greatly appreciated. I've been David. All right, and I'm Vic. Take care, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the 40k Fireside podcast. 
Book and I hope you've enjoyed listening, and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show.